It's good to see you. Welcome. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. If it's your first time here, we're really glad that you're here. If it's your first time in a long time, we're really glad that you're back, and we want to say welcome. We're, we're glad to be together. This is a worship gathering. The purpose of us coming together is to worship, to worship Jesus Christ. It's the reason why we've come together, is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and to worship our Lord and our Savior, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to be together. Thank you, my friend. We are in the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 21. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke since May, and we're going to be in it through the end of this month. And if you need a Bible, we have Bibles that we would like to give you. Just come to the room right over here. It has a sign over at the altar room. It's a room we pray for people in after the gathering. If you need prayer, come to the altar room. But we have Bibles in there. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible. The church has purchased them so that it can be at no cost to you. We want to make sure everyone has a copy of the Word of God. After this series wraps up in August, in September and October, in the beginning of November, we're going to go into a series called Lord Teach Us to Pray. And we're really encouraging everyone to be getting into groups, groups where you can be talking about uh, prayer and praying together in groups. And over the next few weeks, you're going to receive a lot of information about opportunities that are available for you to get into smaller groups. And so just be looking out for that. But I want to just have that be uh, on your radar as we're heading into the fall. It's going to be a great time together as a church family. I believe that where the Lord wants to take us next, we're going to find as we seek him in prayer. And it's going to be important for us as a church family to grow in seeking the Lord together. And so that's why we're going through this series, that we really discover what it is that God has for us. And I'm excited to do that with you. So let's look forward to that together. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 21. And I'm going to read Luke 21, 5 through 36. And then we will we'll dig into this together. Okay. So this is Luke chapter 21. 5 through 36. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, but do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will, be, you will be delivered up to, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, 
but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there'll be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. Let me pray for us. Father God, Lord, as we have your word here, and as we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke, we're now to a pretty interesting section here where you're talking about things to come. And you're also, you're also showing us some ways that we can think, some ways that we can act ways that we might be prepared and respond and be ready. And so, God, I pray that as we look at this text, that you will help us to know, even today, how is it that we might respond to you today? That today we would be ready to be in your presence, and today we'd be ready to stand before you. And so, God, I'm asking for your help As we walk through this passage, would this be a moment where you really build us up as a church family? You would grow us as a church family. And that even there would be an opportunity for examination of our own lives. Of how are we really doing? How are we really doing? And is there anything, Lord, that we need to get right with you? And so, God, I'm asking that you'd guide us all the way through this text. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. So to help us understand what is this temple that this text is about, uh, we've got a video that I'm going to show you. I'm going to explain a little bit about the temple as we watch this video. I see a lot of, I see a lot of this going on, so I, I, that's the universal sign for it's too hot in here. So uh, if, uh, <laughs> if any of our team members or whatever need to, to do whatever, because, uh, you know, there's like calisthenics going on in the room right now, so... 
we acknowledge that it's hot, and, and uh, so our team will I'll take a look at that. So let's watch this video together, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the temple. So the first temple that we see in Scripture uh, was, can you guys play that video? There we go. The first temple we see in Scripture was built by Solomon. It was this magnificent building. It remained for about 400 years. We read about that in the Old Testament until it was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was then partially rebuilt under the leadership of Zerubbabel. In fact, I've been reading through the Bible this year with a group of men, and I, I just read through this section. Now, you fast forward to the time of Jesus where Luke is recording this scene, and it was about 20 years before the scene that we're looking at today where King Herod began to work on rebuilding, reconstructing the temple and expanding its platform, and he, and he made it this enormous, glorious building. The vastness of it, the sheer size of it. The temple was extraordinarily noteworthy. Herod was a master architect. He chose stones that were huge. They were quarried and they were brought to Jerusalem to build the interior of the temple. Single white marble stones were used, and these stones were 67 feet long, seven feet high, and nine feet wide. He adorned the buildings with jewels and gold. It was so brilliant that when the sun came up at dawn, people could not look directly at the walls of the temple because of the refulgence, the reflection, and, and the brightness of its glory was so bright they had to look away. This temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world, and the city of Jerusalem and its temple, they were considered impregnable. No one could get in. No one could destroy it. They, they saw it as the temple of the Lord. They saw it as Mount Zion. And in the eye of Jewish people, it was totally indestructible. But Jesus says of the temple in the passage that we just read, he says this, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Stones that are 67 feet long, seven feet high, nine feet wide. He's saying there's not going to be one of those on top of another that's not going to be thrown down. It would end in absolute desolation and destruction when God responded to the unbelief of his people and he visited them in what Luke calls in this passage the days of vengeance. That's, that's how it's described is the days of vengeance because their city and their temple would be destroyed. When Jesus said this, no one would have believed him. As they saw the glory of this building and he describes what's going to happen, they would, they would not have believed him. Yet, if there's anything in the Bible that proves the truth of the Bible, you can point to this one prophetic claim from Christ. It's in this single prophecy. You could point to it because in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. Romans came in. They annihilated both Jerusalem and the temple. And it points to what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. The prophecy that Jesus made 30-something years before it took place, it came to be. And what he said came true. So what about for us? As we look at a text that's dealing with some things that happened in the past and pointing to some things that are in the future, what, 
What should we do with this text? Well, there's a phrase out of Luke 21, verse 34. And I think the phrase helps us to see what is the reason why Jesus is telling us about this future event beyond the proof of prophecy coming true, but that the people who were hearing him share this, what, what ways should they respond? And in Luke 21, 34, it just starts by saying, but watch yourselves, but watch yourselves. And as I consider this passage and I look at where are the specific places where Jesus gives an instruction, and we're going to look at some of those places where he gives an instruction so that we might understand how can we watch ourselves right now? If the point of this passage is so that we can watch ourselves, then what from this passage can we learn to help watch ourselves? And so that's the framework of what we're going to look at tonight. Six learnings, six places in this passage where we can learn from Jesus to help watch ourselves as we consider the day of the Lord drawing near, as we consider Jesus returning. So we'll take it in some, in some chunks here. The first one's going to be in verses 8 and 9. So in Luke chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, it says, And he said to him, See that you are not led astray. And the reason Jesus has to say, See that you are not led astray, is because we're led astray. He, he doesn't have to give that command he doesn't have to give that instruction if we're not led astray. So we just have to acknowledge we can be led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of counterfeit Jesus. There's going to be a lot of Jesuses that show up that are counterfeit. They're not real and they're going to say, I'm he and the time is at hand. And, he's, and he gives a very clear instruction. Do not go after them. Very clear. Do not go after them. Expect it to happen and do not go after them. Verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. And, and there's wars and tumults that happened in uh, Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. But there's war and tumults that happened throughout the history of mankind. And he's saying, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place. But then the end will come. So Jesus is giving very clear instruction that there is going to be war, there is going to be devastation, there's going to be craziness in our world, and don't be terrified when those things happen, because they must take place before the end will come, but the end will not be at once. So the first learning I would pull from this text is that we should only trust in Jesus Christ and his word. He's saying there's going to be people who come and they try to deceive you. Don't be led astray. They're going to tell you things that aren't true. They're going to try and get you to go after them. But don't do it. Only trust in Jesus Christ and his word. And when things get crazy and you're not sure who to trust, then come back to God's word and trust Jesus Christ and his word. And when you look at the things that are happening in the world around you, he's preparing them He's preparing the people who are listening to him for the things that are coming, which was going to be great devastation. And he's saying, don't go after the false. Don't go after the false and don't be terrified. So what's the opposite of that? Well, trust in the real. Trust in the real and have hope in him. So trust in Jesus Christ and his word. At the end of our time, I've asked the team to do two songs. The first one is a song called Fear Is Not My Future. And it's going to be a new song probably for most of us. And it's directly, the reason I asked for it is because of the instruction of Jesus here where he says, don't be terrified. 
And so we're going to learn a new song tonight, Fear Is Not My Future, and we're going to learn a new song, singing a new song, uh, really about making sure that we're not operating out of a place of fear, but really out of hope in Jesus Christ. The second song we're going to sing at the end is In Christ Alone. And it comes out of this also because he's saying, don't go after anyone else. Don't go after anything else. It's only him. Only trust in Jesus Christ and his word. And so those two songs we'll sing at the end. And there'll be a reminder of this section right here that we just walked through. So we're going to continue on looking at verses 10 through 19. And then Jesus said to them, nation will rise against nation. We, we see that. Kingdom against kingdom. We see that. There will be great earthquakes, we see that. In various places, famines, we see that. And there will be pestilences, we see that. That's diseases. And, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So now he's describing, he's saying, there's going to be moments when even when you look up at the sky, it's going to be terrifying. There'll be moments when you look up at the sky and something's going on in the heavens. And it's going to be terrifying. There'll be signs from heaven as you look up. But before all this, he says, so that's, that, he's describing supernatural and natural occurrences that are going to take place. He says, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. So he is talking to his followers and he's saying, there's going to come a moment when supernatural and natural things are occurring and it's going to be kind of terrifying. But before any of that even happens, those who oppose you, those who really oppose Jesus, they're going to lay their hands on you. They're going to put their hands on you. They're going to put their hands on you to harm you, to persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. Synagogues is the local meeting place of the Jew in their town for their religion. They're going to deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And that's the key phrase right there. For my name's sake. Jesus is saying, there's going to be some of you, you're going to experience persecution, and they're going to bring you before the synagogue, they're going to bring you before, you know, prisoners, you know, put you in prison, they're going to bring you before kings, they're going to bring you before governors, but the whole point of the reason of why it's happening is because you are associated with Jesus. For my name's sake. One might think, well, that would be a terrible situation. That would be a terrible situation. Well, apparently not to Jesus, because in verse 13, he says, this will be your opportunity. <laughs> Jesus sees that as the opportunity. The opportunity for what? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So what you think might be the worst case scenario, Jesus actually sees that as the opportunity for you to represent him. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. In other words, don't freak out and stress out trying to figure out what you're going to do in that moment now or what you're going to say in that moment now. Don't, don't waste your time on that. He says, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. If God places you in a position where you're going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus, you're not going to need to know what's on the note cards in that moment. God's going to give you what you need to say. If God places you in a place where you're going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus, you don't need to stress out beforehand what it is you're going to say in that moment because if God places you in that place, he's going to give you what to say. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. So, you know, your own community, your own family, your own relationships. 
and some of you they will put to death. Jesus is very clear here that some who experience persecution will die because of that persecution. But that's not the end of the story. In verse 17, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Again, it's because of Jesus. Persecution about Jesus, it's gonna be because of him. It's because they actually hate Jesus. If someone persecutes you because of Jesus, his name, But then in verse 18 and 19, we see the balance of it. And he says, but not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance you will gain your lives. So a learning here. Persecution, persecution will lead to bearing witness. Jesus says that's that's the opportunity. It's the opportunity to bear witness. So learning number two is persecution will lead to bearing witness and possibly death. It doesn't say that everyone will die. But it does, say, it does say some of you will die. Persecution will lead to bearing witness and possibly death, but there is security in Jesus Christ for eternal life. In verse 18 and 19, it says, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your life. So how is it possible that in this same text, it clearly communicates to the same people, on one hand, some of you will be put to death, and then in the next couple of verses, it says, but not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance, you will gain your life. So how's that possible? How's it possible that the same people he's talking to, some of them are going to experience death, but they're not going to perish? Well, I think it's resolved in that the first section of it, he's talking about a physical death, and the second part of it, he's talking about spiritual endurance for eternity. He's saying, you might experience being physically murdered for Jesus, martyrdom, Persecuted unto death would be martyrdom. You might experience being physically murdered for Jesus, but you can have spiritual security and assurance for your eternity in salvation in Jesus Christ, which is why he can say you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, will gain, you will gain your lives. And it reminds me of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. So what is he talking? He's talking about a spiritual perishing. Yes, you can lose your life for the sake of Jesus, but you don't perish in God's eyes because you can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We go on to the next section in 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, remember he's... He's talking, you know, around somewhere 30, 35 A.D. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and he's, he's helping them see what's coming. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has come near. You know, if, if, um, if our nation were to be attacked right now, uh, we'd have a very, very short amount of time to, to know it was coming because of the technology that is in our world right now. So it would be very, very short. Missiles are flying, bombs are flying, right? It's just a very short amount of time. But for them, in this moment, for, a, for them to be surrounded by an army, those armies are marching in for months. They're, they're, they're marching in and they're, they're setting up camps. And I mean, it's a totally different scenario than how we would understand being attacked right now. And so he's saying, look, when, when Jerusalem's surrounded by armies, then you're going to know. Then you're going to know its desolations come near. So as you see all those armies surrounding Jerusalem, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's like, get out. If you see, if you see it, you see it's coming, get out. Let those who are inside the city depart. 
Don't keep everybody in. Let them leave. It's going to be destroyed. Let them leave. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. Don't, don't invite more people in to a city that's going to be destroyed. For these are the days of vengeance. And I think it's important that the word vengeance is used here. And Luke, the historian who's, who's recording this, he uses the term vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. And if Luke here is calling this the days of vengeance uh, on, on behalf of recording the words of Jesus, that Jesus is titling these the days of vengeance, then, then I have to come to the conclusion that God is causing for the destruction of Jerusalem to happen, to fulfill all that is written. Verse 23, alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. I think, I think that's pretty obvious for, for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, it's, it's not real great to be pregnant even when it's hot out, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to take care of a baby who's, who, you know, who's needing to nurse, right? Well, just, you know, if you think of just the heat, how uncomfortable it is in the heat, well, you know, how, how horrible would it be in wartime? And that's all it's saying, is in war, this would be horrible. For there will be a great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's another place in scripture that talks about the times of the Gentiles and returning uh, talking about a moment when Israel, the people of Israel would return. And we saw that in the 20th century where the nation of Israel came together and Israel, you know, and there's a lot of Jews who are, who are heading to Israel and that's still continuing to happen. We're seeing that happen. So he's saying there's, there's going to be, there's going to be devastation here. There's going to be war. It's going to be a time of wrath. It's going to be God's vengeance. And I think the lesson for us is we say, well, how does that even matter for 2023? Here we are in Modesto, California. Well, I think the way it matters in learning three is that a nation that disobeys God's command welcomes God's vengeance. A nation that disobeys God's commands welcomes God's vengeance. And I just want to talk about what these represent right here, these flags. Normally, they're at the edge of the stages, but I, I had the team pull them up. So I want to talk about these flags for a moment. You know, this American flag, it's supposed to represent one nation under God. That, that's what it's supposed to represent. The flag is supposed to represent one nation under God. And the nation is supposed to operate in the way that the flag represents. The problem is, is that we can look at this flag and see this flag as representing how our nation is operating. And seeing that that flag, well, that flag actually represents a nation that's doing really horrible, a nation that has walked away from God. But that's not what the flag is supposed to represent. The flag is supposed to represent one nation under God, and that one nation under God is supposed to live in such a way that the flag would represent the way that they're living. And that's not happening. That's not happening. And in our life right now, we have a mix of generations, an older generation that saw this flag representing one nation under God 
And they gave their dads, their brothers, and their sons with their blood so that we might be able to worship Jesus Christ in freedom right now. And we have a younger nation that's separated from that wartime, and they see this flag as representing the great destruction that our nation is bringing on itself. And so we're living in a pretty interesting moment right now where there's a collection of generations who see, just even see that flag very differently. But then you have this Christian flag. And what does this Christian flag represent? Well, you know, it represents that we are to keep Christ at the center of our lives as we engage our culture. That Christ would be the center of who we are and how we operate as we engage in our culture, in our country. Uh, That we serve one king, Jesus Christ. One kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, California is really leading the way in destruction in our nation. And it's sad to see. Um, It's heartbreaking that our nation would promote evil and that our state would lead the way in promoting evil and declaring evil, inviting people into evil. And as a follower of Jesus, it might be you're you're wondering what's maybe something I could do to be trained to maybe learn how to interact, especially when we think about um, our responsibility as a Christian who lives in a nation that we might be salt and light in our nation. How can I maybe speak up against the things that that our state is doing? And there is a team that's gonna be going to a training day up at the state capitol, and we wanna make that available to you. You may wanna go to that as well. And so there's going to be a rally for parental rights and a lobby day. It's coming up on the 21st. After the gathering, we're going to have a team right out in the lobby. And maybe you have some questions about that. And you might want to get trained on how can I, as a follower of Jesus, when I see my state really working against the things of God, how can I be a part of the active salt and light to be a part of the solution instead of being a part of the problem? And you might want to be a part of the solution. And and there's a team out there, and they can help you, okay? They can help you kind of know what to do next. And so just go out there after the gathering. We've got a bunch of flyers out there, and there's lots of information out there. But I would encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to be thinking just as a follower of Jesus. You live in the state of California. The state of California is leading the way on evil. And how can you be a part of the solution to point people to Jesus Christ? The next section we're going to look at is 25 through 28. It says, There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. And so here now we're seeing, again, natural and supernatural things happening with the sun, moon, stars, the earth, nations, uh, roaring of the sea and its waves. People fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world, which would make sense per the sentence that just came before with all the things happening naturally and supernaturally. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And I would just say this, for the powers of the heavens to be shaken, those are some big hands that are going to shake them. For the powers of the heavens to be shaken, those are some big hands that are going to shake the heavens. If the heavens are going to be shaken, those are some big hands, some really big hands. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power in great glory. So Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man. It was his favorite title for himself that he used of himself. And he's saying, 
I'm going to be coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when you see these things begin to take place, he says, straighten up and raise your heads. Well, that's kind of the opposite of what I thought, you know, might be the, it might be like turn and run. Right? You see these things take place, turn and run. But he says, straighten up and raise your heads. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. And I think this is learning number four is to look for redemption in the presence of Jesus. If Jesus comes, that's the moment of redemption. And so instead of being terrified at the coming of the Son of Man, to really be looking expectantly for the coming of, of the Son of Man, that we might experience redemption in, in, in Christ. Now, in some of this text that we're looking at here today, there are some things that some look at as problematic. And, you know, what does this word mean? What does that word mean? And I would just encourage you to dig into it. If you're sensing some of that as you're reading through it, that you would take some time to dig in on your own and begin to read and begin to study. He goes on in verse 29 and 33. He tells a parable. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. He's just saying, look at the agriculture in the same way that it's very obvious to see that as trees start to bud, you know that there's going to be fruit, you know there's going to be a harvest. Well, when these things are taking place, then just pay attention. It's going to be obvious. Just like it's obvious when something happens with a tree, it's going to be obvious when the things that are in this passage begin to happen. When you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. When he says this generation will not pass away till all has taken place, that's one of the places that is problematic for people as they look at this text. What did he mean? What did he mean by the term generation? The generation means one of two things. It either means 40 years or it means a type of people. If it means 40 years, then what Jesus is saying is that everything he's talked about is gonna happen within 40 years, one generation, if it is a type of people, then the type of people he's talking about is a sinful and wicked generation, and he's saying all of this is going to take place you know, as this type of people exists. And all I can tell you is this. Whatever he meant, it happened. That's what I believe. If he meant that all of this was going to take place at the destruction of the, the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, then it happened. Or it will happen. Or it is happening. You know, sometimes when we see prophetic work in the scriptures, there's a near and there's a far fulfillment. And it might be that there's some near and far fulfillment in some of the things that Jesus has said here in Luke 21. And some of the near fulfillment was in the 40-year generation, and some of the far fulfillment is in the sinful generation. As time goes on, we're going to learn more. We're going to learn more as we see what Jesus is teaching us here. But I think the lesson that we can bring from learning number five here as we look at this is that the kingdom of God and his word will remain. He says all this stuff is going to take place. This stuff's going to take place with Jerusalem. It's going to take place with destruction. There's going to be armies. There's going to be natural, supernatural disaster. He even goes as far to say heaven and earth will pass away. So it's all going to pass away. But he says, but my words will not pass away. So the learning for us is no matter how bad it gets, the kingdom of God and his word's not going away. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how much destruction we witness in our lives, the kingdom of God and his word is not going away. It's going to remain. 
So then we get to verses 34 through 36, but watch yourselves, but watch yourselves, which is kind of where I started. But watch yourselves, Let your, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. In other words, if you're, if you're not even paying attention to how to live before Christ, if you're not even paying attention to the fact that Jesus is gonna be coming, it's gonna come on you like a trap. That day will be a trap for you. And if you're living where, you know, it's saying being weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, and that's just being so preoccupied with everything of this world and being so inebriated that you're not even aware and sober of what's happening around you, he's saying it's gonna be a trap. For it will come on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. There's not one person who will escape the coming of the Son of Man. It will impact everyone. But stay awake at all times. And that's not saying don't ever sleep physically. It's saying be alert. Be alert. Be paying attention. Be paying attention to what Jesus is up to and what's going on in your world. Be alert. Be alert at all times. Stay awake at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. Because he doesn't say you're not going to experience persecution. He's saying persecution will come and you will lead to bearing witness. And so you need to be praying that you are going to be able to have the strength to escape destructions and wars and all these things that are going to take place. And most importantly, to stand before the Son of Man. To stand before the Son of Man. That phrase right there, to stand before the Son of Man. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, and then it ends in saying to stand before the Son of Man. That means all of us need to be ready to stand before the Son of Man. That's the last, that's the last learning. Learning six is to live like today is the day we will stand before Jesus. If you were to, if you were to live right now like today is the day that you were to stand before Jesus, would you do anything differently right now? And I think that's what he's trying to encourage here is that these things are gonna happen, these things are gonna come, don't be terrified, be trusting in me. It might be difficult even unto death, but there is salvation and security and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you need to be ready because there's gonna be a day where you stand before me. This is Jesus talking. There's gonna be a, a, a day you're gonna stand before me and you need to be ready to stand and you need to be praying. You need to be praying that you're gonna have endurance to stand before the Son of Man. And so since that's his instruction here, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man, I think that's probably how we should end then. We should probably take some time right now to pray that we can do what this verse is saying. He's asking us to pray that we might have endurance, that we might be alert, we might be awake, that we might be expectant of the Son of Man. And so that probably means we should do that right now since that's what we just read. And so let's take some time right now to pray. And the team is gonna come out after this time of prayer and they're gonna lead us in those two songs that, that I, I talked about. But let's take some time to pray first. And just to, just to evaluate before God, Lord, if, if he were to come right now, if today was the day that I would stand before the Son of God and be held accountable before the Son of God, is there anything that I need to do business with God about? Is there any sin that I need to confess before God?
I would encourage you, if there's something that's been brought to your mind, that you would confess it to God and you would ask for God to forgive you. If there's something that's going on in your life, there's some issue that you need to talk to him about. If he has brought it to your mind, I would encourage you not to ignore it, but to confess it and to ask for forgiveness to Jesus Christ right now. So, Father God, Lord, we need your help. We need your help to be humble. When we read passages like this, talk about things that are coming, your return. Lord, help us to have humility as we handle the text. Some places we can have an understanding. Some places we might still have questions. But, God, we see in this text there's a pretty clear response we're to have, and that's to be ready for you, to be expecting you. So God, whatever the things are in our life that we need to ask for forgiveness, God, help us to be humble enough to do it. Help us to be humble enough to ask you to forgive us. Lord, that we might be able to be clean before you because of the righteousness of Jesus and might experience your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, there's gonna be some day we stand before you. We'll learn a lot in that moment. Until that day, Lord, help us to be expectant. Help us to not live in fear. Help us to not live afraid. But help us to live looking to Jesus and really wanting Jesus to come and expecting Jesus to come. And so, God, we ask for your help in this. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. We're going to stand together. We're going to close our time in singing. And this first song might be new, so we'll learn it together. Pastor Brandon's gonna, gonna teach us as we go, and uh, we'll, we'll enjoy singing together here. <laughs>